Yes. Um, we got recordings going. Everything's going. And we got to move relatively swiftly because so Miles has swiftly. to leave. Yeah. yeah. I'm moving concise swiftly. Concise podcast. Concise podcast. <laughs> I don't believe you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the perils of owning a 55 year old automobile means you have to take it to the mechanic every once in a while. So I have to Why pick have it up you around 4 30. Yeah. Get a Fox body. Oh, yeah. Miles, <laughs> right. how do you consider getting a van? <laughs> Actually, yes, a Corvair Greenbrier. So there's a the oh, What's Your Problem wow. podcast all in itself. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, all right. Max Schnell. Okay. Yes. Welcome to Well, There's Your Problem. Are you doing uh, the screen recording? Yes, I am doing a screen recording. Okay, good. Everything is good. We should be good. 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 A, po- a, a podcast about engineering disasters, which is good, um, or so the viewers tell us. Yeah. Uh, listeners, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I'm so Justin fun. Rosniak. I'm, I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Um, uh, all right, go. I'm Alice Caldwell Kelly. My pronouns are she and her. I heard um, in the comments saying, stop interrupting Justin so much, and I resolved to interrupt Justin on the first sentence of the podcast so proud of you yes so proud of you that's what we like is is be aggressive towards the viewers don't let them get a foothold <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. yeah no parasocial relationships as you're going to see my name is liam anderson my pronouns are he him uh i'm working on getting a better mic okay shut the fuck up i'm working on it i know we all know i have to move i have to do a lot of shit the the, 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 the i promise you I am the least of your worries. Again, I will come to your house, I will get a crossbow, and I will leg you. From six feet away. From six feet away. And, 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 and we have a guest today. Hi, guest. Another guest. Hey, guest. I'm Miles, and uh, my pronouns are he, they. Ooh, fancy. Mm. I know. Trez, fancy. And, and, and today Trez. we're going to talk Trez. about, you, you, you'll see on the, on, the, on the screen in front of you, a train, mm. but not just any not train. Not just any train. <laughs> it's it's a cow. The worst train in the it's, world. <laughs> it, it's a cow train. That can't be true. It, it's, it's not the it's worst train. It's crazy how in they the made world. an entire train out of calcium. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta watch out for that Helvetica scenario. Low, low, low budget Jones. Should we uh, should we enlighten the users uh, or our listeners rather on the, uh, the colloquial yeah. term yes. for the uh, motive power industries MP thirty six that is uh, on the screen here? I don't. I didn't know there was a colloquial term for it. Uh, yes, the uh, the crews and some of the people that manufacture it uh, have have given it a very good nickname: the dildo liner. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm squinting. Yeah. I'm not seeing it personally, but uh, like, you have to go see a side view. Ah, okay. But Miles, you, me, and Liam have all gone out to Strasbourg to see 611. Oh, yes. That's a dildo liner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's magnificent. You could fuck a forest with that. I mean, like. <laughs> Shall we introduce a new term, Freudian wheel slip? Oh, that's oh, extremely oh good. Yeah. There we D- are. Do you want a job on All a right. podcast? <laughs> I hear I can make multiple dollars right. being a podcast. Yeah, that's true. L- literally yes. dozen of dollars. Damn. Yes. You see the Patreon, it looks big, and then you gotta divide it, and it's not so big. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, today we're gonna talk about Caltrain. Um, that stands for California train. <laughs> this is a train in California. Yeah. Anyway, 
But before we tell you why we're going to talk about it, we have to do the goddamn news. Uh, it's another downer, isn't it? Uh, it's another downer. Although it's kind of been an upper since then because of the way the, the Portlanders have been handling this. But yeah, the, the feds are being deployed around the United States to just, you know, put people in vans and take them away. Yeah, wearing not violating federal law. Not li- violating any federal law. There's no reason for them to be there. That's what the National Guard is for. We have we have laws about this. Don't matter. Don't matter anymore. You can just no, have a bunch of, of U.S. Marshals. Doesn't matter. U.S. Marshals wearing <laughs> multicam and like subdued patches, just grabbing people up into rental vans. It's cool. Is Trump just playing Tropico One, not realizing it is actually the country? I love Tropico. Yeah, although it's kind of gone off the rails lately. If he were playing Tropico, we'd have better infrastructure. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have DHS agents, but we do have police blimps. Yeah. So, you know, they've been, like, just hauling people off in vans for no reason, and then they, like, I don't know, intimidate them for a while and release them. We don't know if anyone's been disappeared yet. Uh, the Portlanders are very mad, mm-hmm. um, and there's been a crew of leaf dads with leaf blowers um, just redirecting all the tear gas back into um, yep. the uh, a, courthouse out there, which is hilarious. Last night, like an honest-to-God, <laughs> like, skirmish line. It was extremely good. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was I great. Story that DHS employees are mad that the agency is being used in this way, and I was like, you're literally, like... The it's, thought police it, yeah. department created in 2002 as part of the surveillance state. What do you think your fucking job is? It's literally the are we the baddies me? <laughs> yeah. Literally, like, they're, they're, <laughs> their job was to get Bush reelected. Yeah. Well, the, the, the tweet that I saw about this that is profoundly true is that, like, when the Department of Homeland Security was formed, I said that in a matter of years it would be used to have like uh, warrantless paramilitaries disappearing people into vans, and my roommates told me to stop smoking so much pot in the dorm room, and both <laughs> of us were right. <laughs> I, I mean, a, a matter of years was pretty generous. That's true. I mean, it's yeah. more like a matter of months. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Shall we? Uh, since we, we gotta go quick, so in other news... Stop Everyone's asking us to do an episode. You can't do this episode. It's we don't have enough information. Guys, it's three yeah. paragraphs. Yeah. We can bullshit we can't. pretty well. This not is that three well. fucking paragraphs. Not that well. Yeah, I was about to say. It's not even three paragraphs. It's like five sentences at most. Yeah. For those of you paragraphs. listening on audio, this is the Erfurt latrine disaster where a bunch of Holy Roman Empire nerds fell in a latrine when uh, uh, the floor collapsed. Yeah, extremely like, yes, funny, the, but... Very funny, yes. Not enough of a, like, documented engineering design. We should do a medieval one at some point, but we'll it won't be this. Yeah. It, uh, we, if someone sends me drawings of how the floor was collapsed, I will try and do it. I feel like one of the things you could do is uh, spend the Patreon money on hiring that weird news place that makes the weird animations really cheaply. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Taiwanese place, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, hire them to do uh, a recreation meticulous of the Erfurt latrine disaster, but with, like, you know, random contemporary oh, political figures. Yeah. Uh, hear me out, though. What if we got to hear in chat to do it? Fuck! Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I want to hang out with Tahir Inchat. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> much, much better than hanging out with Elon Musk. You see, the I thing is, right? They, they, all of these guys would have been safe if they'd had the vet, the bed that like encases you when there's an earthquake. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the poo would have seeped in through the bed. I don't oh, know. What the, I don't no, know thank if you. The, is the coffin bed watertight? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. All right. That was the goddamn news. We made it quick today. Good news. Because Miles has to leave at some point. All right. So I have to ask the question. All right. So for those of you who don't live in the Bay Area. Consider yourselves lucky. What is Caltrain? Yeah. <laughs> East Coast, best coast. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so what is Caltrain? It's a train right? in California. The clue is in wow. the name. Yes. You did yes. it, Mm. Should I describe it in a overly official tone? Please. Uh, if you want to, sure. Caltrain, for over 100 years, has been a, an integral commuter service connecting San Francisco with San Jose, eventually extending south to Gilroy. Oh, that's a fantastic commercial voice. <laughs> Good voice. Thank you. Yes, it's a commuter train. Sort of, uh, you know, it runs between, as Miles said, San Francisco, San Jose. They run a bunch of trains every day. It goes through, of course, some of the wealthiest parts of the United States. That's this whole area here. It's like Palo Alto. That's like San Mateo. It's like all these horrible places where all the techie, mm. techies live. Which leads me right. to a question, which I feel like we're going to spend yes. the next hour or so answering. Why then do we have all of these, to me, very beautiful F40s on the right here, uh, but why aren't they fucking like some Elon Musk curved hexagonal bullshit? Have I got an answer for Ooh. you? <laughs> <laughs> it's because Caltrain, Caltrans, the California Department of Transportation, is cheap. And also because they're oddly good at maintaining these F40s, so they keep on, keep on keeping on. Hmm. If, it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Really? So... Now, Caltrain, like a lot of other transit authorities, you know, ridership's around 10% of usual, um, which in Caltrain, which is a system that depends on fare revenue, is a big problem, right? Um, Caltrain receives over 70% of its funding from fare box revenue, right? That's, that's just, you know, tickets, right? So it's sort of an existential crisis because we got Doroni going around. Mm -hmm. Um. And, you know, one question is, why do we talk about Caltrain in particular, right? Um, especially when elsewhere in the Bay Area in San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco Municipal Railway, which is, um, of course, the transit authority out there, has had to cut 50% of bus routes. Um, and, you know, there's, there's lots of cuts to transit everywhere um, in the United States right now. Why should people um, be able to get to work? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Well, there's and, fewer people working, so you need fewer ways of getting to work. It's simple. That's just math. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, mean, I yeah. love to walk another, like, three and a half, half a mile to and from my bus every day, yeah. Uphill both ways. Because remember, the San <laughs> yes. Francisco is not flat. Yes, San Francisco is <laughs> non-Euclidean, yeah, yes. It definitely Fuck. is non-Euclidean. <laughs> <laughs> so... All right, so so Muni's like running half their bus routes right now, and they're thinking about doing that per permanently, right? Just because they have no way to raise revenue. Um, Caltrain is in a similar situation, right, where they have almost no revenue, 
and there they had this idea they were going to put a one eighth cents sales tax on the ballot in November, right? Because they have to, to. continue to fund their operation, yeah. and because they can, based on their charter, that yeah. seems reasonable um, to me. I assume yes. I'm going to be pissed off about something. Unfortunately, we we run into California. California's insane, uh, like uh, tax amendment, where you have to have ballot initiatives to raise taxes on almost anything, right? That's true. In addition, bridge tolls as well. Oh my god! Uh, the other thing is that uh, the Bay Area, in particular, is very trigger happy with uh, uh, raising the cost of those types of things. If you look at the disparity in the uh, percentage of sales tax between counties alone in the Bay Area itself, it's pretty wild. So one of the one of the members of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, I think several of them, just decided we're not going to put this measure on the ballot, right? Democracy. Um, we're just not going to do it. Yes. Hey. <laughs> and there's sort of there's this sort of faux progressive argument from equality here, right? Um, obviously, a sales tax is a regressive tax, right? Because it applies equally to everyone. Um, and a lot of that sales tax sales tax would come from San Francisco. Most San Franciscans do not ride Caltrain. That's people from the suburbs coming in, right? And at least one of the Board of Supervisors, uh, Shaman Walton, who is also on the Joint Powers Board that oversees Caltrain, wants more San Francisco representation on the board before he would even let voters vote on the sales tax, That's right? That's not his goddamn business! <laughs> also, don't, aren't there like now four people living in San Francisco, all of whom are billionaires? One of the things that I've had as a sort of like uh, joke for a long time is because San Francisco is so expensive. It's like that Truman. It's like the Truman Show, where at like six p.m. everybody leaves the entire city and it's completely empty. I too have been to Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the vibe I got like of people who actually live in San Francisco is that it's one gay bookstore that's been open since the mid seventies that is slowly being forced out, like in a vice, and then. Uh, like <laughs> six guys who got rich, like finding a way to like slightly evade some more capital gains tax, more or less. And then you you throw in a bunch of you throw in a pretty diverse population, and you've pretty much got it. It's uh, it's like uh, Yogi Berra says, uh, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> now, one one of the things that inspired me to say uh, we should do an episode about this was a bad tweet. Ah, uh, yes. Which I'm not going to mention who it was. Or because I think the person has suffered a month enough by now, <laughs> but they specifically stated Caltrain's high fares made it a super highway for Silicon Valley, which was specifically designed to keep you know poor and black and brown riders off the trains. What? Right. Right. Now. Okay. So first All off, right. that's okay. First off, Route 101 is a super highway for Silicon Valley. Right. They have all of those buses. <laughs> Where they like yeah. they pay the the people driving them almost nothing, and then they have to sleep in the buses in between shifts, and they use the like regular San Francisco bus stops, but they don't like pay for them or anything. Yeah, that's correct. The Google, the infamous yes. Google buses, as they've come to be known, um, they have had a positive impact in reducing overall traffic. But you know, <laughs> when it comes push comes to shove, San Franciscans get grumpy about nearly everything. So even something that could be on paper be seen as a good thing from a transit perspective was actually literally picket lined more than once, which awesome. is pretty hilarious. I like it. Yeah. 
But like all the really, really rich techies, they're not taking Caltrain, you know, they, they're putting on autopilot on their Teslas, yep. you know, yep. and just snoozing on the way into work until I crash into a semi truck, um, <laughs> you know, which I believe like 50% of autopilot trips end in. Oof. Um, second off, just because, you know, lots of middle class and upper middle class people ride the train doesn't mean it's exclusively a train for rich people, right? Exactly. You know. We have Excella. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to be like a dirt farmer to be, you know, like uh, poor, right? You know, a lot of people can swing five dollars to ride the train in from Zone Two each day, but you know, still struggle, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, the uh, San Francisco poverty line uh, uh, actual numbers are something insane. It's like it's eighty-eight thousand dollars for a single person is the poverty line in San Francisco. Jesus. Ooh. Fuck that, man. That, right? That's a lot of money. Just yeah. move, so, move to Delaware. Goddamn. And, that, and that's the thing. So <laughs> if you think about this, so your average Muni bus driver gets paid about $55,000 a year, last I checked. That, yeah. So it doesn't matter right, how, how, you know, how many years you've served in Muni. Of course, you get paid a little more each year. But at the end, you're probably still uh, beneath the poverty line. I was about to say, you got to live out in Stockton or some bullshit way out in the boonies. Sadly, yes. Or you have to, uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's not a good idea. You have all this weird super commuting from far off unknown locations like Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to do this episode because I've been a commuter rail rider basically my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and especially if you're commuting in the off-peak hours, you know, not everyone on the trains, like a uh, button down middle management guy or anything like that. Right. You know, exactly. Um, but there is a sort of kernel to tr- a kernel of truth to the f- idea that like commuter rail is, you know, for the middle class and higher, right. Uh, the fares are high compared to other modes of public transportation. Um, in our case, this particular train runs through very privileged towns and cities um, more than half the ridership makes over the median area income, and a lot of people who ride the train are white, right? There's a class character to the train, right? Yes. Um, also, side note, the medium income uh, of that strip along the peninsula is $120,000 a person. Jesus. Uh, yeah. I hate to criticize trains, but we are doing ruthless critique of all that exists, and so... Yes. Yes. So... One of the things is like this sort of thing is reflected in commuter trains all across America, right? How did this come about? And sort of to explain the current conditions, we're going to have to talk about some of the history of commuter rail in the United States, some of the history of Caltrain, how Caltrain and other commuter railroads operate, and why those operations basically require high fares. And we'll talk a little bit about California housing policy. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's where I'd, if we had the Wilhelm scream drop, I'd put it in right there. Um, what was hey, that? Yeah. What the hell was that? That was me screaming. <laughs> what? <laughs> screaming into what? An air conditioner? A toaster? <laughs> I was about to say. I, okay, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you. No friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fantastic. But. I put in the um, uh, dogs playing poker here. Uh, this particular dogs playing poker is four aces and his stop 
uh, to represent <laughs> the previous luxury of commuter trains in the United States. Oh, that's great. Um, I like uh, the big ass watermark from paintinghere.com. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> the intellectual property law respect us. Yes. So now, one of the things we say on this podcast a lot is train good. Right. Ah, yes, the rallying so, cry of mm-hmm. numtots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so <laughs> now, train usually good, um, especially in a modern context. But train not always good, right? Very Correct. much not. Um, train can sometimes be bad. You know, infrastructure is sort of neutral, right? Depending on who's doing the infrastructure, what they're doing it for. Well, thinking about like right. Cecil Rhodes is like a um, train oh, okay. from, uh, what is it? Cape oh, to Cairo. Yeah, Cape to Cairo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, the, the whole Holocaust thing, that was, that was bad. Yeah, also not good. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So like, we use trains for, you know, Western expansion, right? You know, you know it's good to have better transportation, obviously, right? But it's bad that we're stealing ass loads of land to do it, you know. And you can see here, these are land grants given to railroads. These are really ass loads of land. Sort. Yes. Yes. So, it, for instance, the or, red central arrow is the Central Pacific slash Union Pacific, uh, which is the famous transcontinental. Um, if we look at the tip of the arrow that uh, Justin has drawn, there's the Bay Area, of course. Um, and yes. About halfway through in the middle of Utah's promontory, where the split is. Um, now, these wide swaths you see on the map are actually quite accurate. They can be dozens or hundreds of miles wide in some cases. I mean, even though it is a bunch of individual land grants, look at poor Iowa, for instance, which has one every 10 miles. <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous. I was under the understanding that this map was a little bit exaggerated in that not all of this land was actually granted to railroads, but this was the potential land grants. There are some, yeah. If you look at the South, uh, the Atlantic and Pacific, for instance, which is the second lowest one there, and with little X's out of it. Yeah. They, uh, right here? Yeah, they, they tried uh, laying it, and they were like, oops. <laughs> can't do that. Mm-hmm. Also, I am personally insulted. Right over here, <laughs> Pennsylvania and Jersey and Delaware are all, all the, the same. same state now. And, uh, it's I, not I don't like that anymore. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> I love to live in the Commonwealth right, of the state area. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the only map that actually has the Upper Peninsula of Michigan drawn in, but not Maine. Uh, look, right? <laughs> we've given it to New Brunswick. It's owned by the Irvings now. <laughs> all right. So yeah, we you know we used we used uh, railroads to you know. Access and then, you know, sort of obtain land owned by Native Americans, right? Uh, and, you know, we sort of murdered them in order to get their land. Um, and, you know, Canadian National had a whole class of passenger cars, specifically called colonizer cars, for bringing people out west as Jesus cheap as possible. Christ. So they could, you know, stake the claim to lands that people already lived on. Oh, we had that too. The Central Pacific had, uh, and the Union Pacific had uh, cars that were second class cars that were just for that as well. Um, Wow. I'll see if I can dig up an image if you want to put it in the thing officially when this is done. And and you get a lot of yeah. like romantic notions about like uh, taming the West and like manifest destiny and things of that nature because you have this superior technology of railroads. Right, and it didn't yeah. end with the Rootin' Tootin' uh, cowboy era either, as we see in the images now. Uh, 
a complete legacy of being extremely racist and in some cases not even precise. Uh, the picture in the back shows what you'll soon learn to be a, a Southern Pacific commuter coach um, loading uh, Japanese folks being interned all along the West Coast to be sent to places like Manzanar. Mm. Um, but their first stop being through Tanforan, a racetrack, a horse racetrack, or Santa Anita down south in the Pacific Electric picture on the right there, uh, where they were unfortunately and uh, horrifyingly kept in stables until they were quote-unquote sorted out and then shipped off to uh, Manzanar. Even our beloved inner urbans uh, were used for bad stuff, as it turns out. Yeah. And it wasn't just during World War II. Um, in 1933, in the depths of the Depression, uh, there was a decision that came out to deport um, people believed to be quote-unquote Mexican, so a large Latinx population all throughout California was forcibly deported. The numbers range, but it, the average seems to be about 1.3 million. And it wasn't just the quote-unquote illegals you hear about now. They were also naturalized, natural-born U.S. citizens thrown over the border. Is that the operation yeah, the I'm thinking of with the extremely racist name? No. That's operation actually a, W word. Yeah, that's a follow-up that happened in 1953. This is a, a lesser-known but oddly larger operation that happened in 33 okay uh, we, well we always got to conceal the worst things america did mm -hmm. uh, can't learn about american war crimes can't try to make your country better can't nope. learn from the past nope nope can't america number one goddamn stupid cannot learn from mistakes ever so you, you can do you can do you know trains to do internment ethnic cleansing you can of course do trains for extermination yeah right? yep yeah, not not so good. Um, yeah, De Deutsche Bahn really does not like you mentioning this at all. Uh, I, yeah. I once went into a Hugo Boss store and asked where they kept the SS uniforms, and I was promptly <laughs> banned from all Hugo Boss stores. <laughs> this exhibit uh, is closed. <laughs> <laughs> This is actually a big controversy uh, back when VRE switched operators from Amtrak to Kialis, which is the uh, American division of the French SNCF National Railroad Company, um, where you know that a certain group in the area, um, a, 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 one of the Jewish groups in the area, was like demanding Kialis disclose its role in the Holocaust. Um, because, of course, SNCF, Vichy SNCF, did in fact deport Jews to Poland and other bad places. If you want a, um, a, the closest yeah. thing to something that will make you feel better from this, it's the only time that a Holocaust train was actually stopped was an attack by the Belgian resistance, I believe. And it literally was just two guys, one of whom with a lamp and the other one with a gun, but with the uh, sort of like improvised cooperation of the Belgian driver who was just like, yeah, I'm just going to run this as slow as I can without the Germans shooting me so that people can jump off it. Uh, That's great. So, thank you, yeah. Belgium, for yeah. once. Thank you, Belgium. Sorry for insulting you in the beer episode, which I'm still working on, I swear. The beer still dog shit. <laughs> yeah, the beer is still bad. So, you know, you can use trains to do racism, of course. You know, trains used to be segregated. Um, you know, in the south, but also you could sort of like catch a train in the north that was heading to the south. 
and get a little bit of segregation in the north if you really wanted. Um, <laughs> as a treat. As a treat. As a treat, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's always always that one incredibly well restored Jim Crow car in every railroad museum in the South. Hmm. You know, sponsored by the Daughters of the Confederacy of so, or something like that. There's thankfully um, a a nice epilogue to that as well. Um, yes, there definitely are those, but they decided to put it uh, put one in the beautiful new museum in D.C. as well. Um, I stumbled across it while researching it, and I came across this picture of an, a huge Pullman heavyweight car flying into the museum on a crane. That's and the so, uh, National wow. African American History Museum, right? Yes. Oh, that's cool. It, it's nice to have one of them preserved by folks who aren't white supremacists yes. for once. <laughs> the lowest of bars, yeah. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to have some control over that narrative now to actually tell the real story as well. Yeah. And the other thing is, of course, um, you know, even even minus institutionalized racism, you can have fallout from infrastructure, which is not good. Right. So I would give the example of the Washington, D.C. Green Line. Right. Oh, boy. Um, so they started building this through largely black neighborhoods right after some major race riots. Right. Um, you know, and they ran through commercial corridors, which, you know, were pretty well wrecked by race riots. Um, and then the streets on were shut down for like 10 years to build the tunnels underneath. Wow. Them, right. And then when the green line opened, you know, the yuppies started to swarm in, you know, yeah. places like Columbia Heights, U Street, even Shaw at this point, you know, so you had complete turnover of the population and just absurd gentrification from putting in the green line. Um, I think the only pre-Green Line and pre-Race Riots business still open on U Street is Ben's Chili Bowl. Which is going to close anyway. And then, you know, and, and then, you know, further down south, like, when they built the Green Line, a lot of direct buses from Anacostia, which was a poor neighborhood in Washington, D.C. for a long time, a lot of those buses were canceled. The idea being now you transfer from the bus to the Green Line, but the trains were more expensive than the buses. So, you know, it, Forced the poorest people to take the expensive train as opposed to the cheap bus to where they were going, right? So even if you're like building good infrastructure, like sometimes it can exacerbate inequalities and make life miserable for people, right? And, you know, part of this is like if you give a poor neighborhood nice things, you know, like public transit, bike lanes, parks, trails, fix up the sidewalks even, uh, rich people start to move in and kick out the poor people, right? And this is, like, difficult to square the circle under a capitalist economic system, right? You know. So long as you have property developers who mm -hmm. are willing to, like, make lofts to take advantage, mm -hmm. then um, it's, it's, it's going to be very easy for that to happen. It's difficult to build cheap housing in a desirable area, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is why, like, urbanists, I always think, have, like, half the picture. Like, yeah, sure, we need more housing, but, like... It matters who controls the housing. It matters how much the housing costs. Correct. Yeah. You can't just build luxury housing in the most desirable locations. And like, yeah, you, know. you just you just do redlining and white flight, but again in the opposite direction. You just like change ends like a soccer game, and so you just force people out into suburbs while the the richer, whiter people just move into the cities again. Oh yeah, that wasn't that the Obama era in a nutshell. 
Mm. Yeah, you you can you can buy a house uh, with this like collateralized insecure mortgage out in the suburbs, and it will be the American dream until it's foreclosed out from under you. Right, and likewise, we can't just bring good infrastructure to poor people and expect the poor people to be able to take advantage of it before you know they're kicked out. This is like a problem with with capitalism, right? You know. Which is why people don't like getting nice things sometimes. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. wow, this nice thing might make my neighborhood too nice and I won't be able to live here anymore. Well, that's the, plus, that, plus that, you I have the, that, um, sorry, sorry, you had. Uh, uh, One of you go ahead, uh, please. Right, so I was, I, I mean, I've seen the, the take that like, uh, we need, we, we want things to improve our community, but it'll change, you know, we can't have more dense housing because that'll change the fabric of the neighborhood, which mm. is this sort of, you know, bullshit take but like at the same time like i i guess i get getting frustrated but that's again symptomatic of capitalism not just putting infrastructure down the the other thing i'd point out is that like uh, another reason to be kind of suspicious of uh particularly like mass transit infrastructure is it has a way of like growing cops on it particularly if you have uh, an infrastructure that, cops. yeah, uh, that like, uh, yeah, railroad bulls that like needs uh fair revenue to to operate. Then you you have a lot of cops there to enforce fares, um, and o- obviously that's not great, uh, particularly if you're the kind of person who does not do well in interactions with cops, like for instance, black people. Yeah, it just reminds yes. me of that MTA uh thing about the. They're hiring two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of cops to stop two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of fare evasion. <laughs> yeah, efficiency. Like, right. oh, God. So yeah. <laughs> also, the, the 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 form of efficiency that takes is that buys like four cops worth of overtime. Yeah. 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 Yep. Now, now on the other hand, of course, highways. You know, uh, just demolish your house and throw you on the street and so, give you, you a know. whole other system of cops. Yes, the CHP. In California, at least. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to say whether it's good or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, next set of slides yeah. is where we discuss the various types of mass transit. Um, heavy rail mass transit, I mean. Right? So, started this with the idea we're going to talk about what is commuter rail, right? Is a commuter train just a train that goes to the suburbs? Yeah, it's a hot dog or no. sandwich. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, that's, the, that's the question we're going to answer here. Um, you know, so like, is the New York City subway commuter rail? Is San Francisco BART commuter rail? Uh, is the Chicago Blue Line commuter rail? Is M-Track commuter rail? So I thought we'd go through the spectrum of trains. Okay, yeah, seems sensible. Uh, hit, me, hit me with the genders of train. The various genders of trains, right? There's more than two. <laughs> um, there's at least three. if you forget everything you think about about trains in general the train's a box that moves people along a fixed path costs money to run but makes money when it has passengers in it right we hope so so one end of the spectrum you have the subway right it runs frequently all day it has dedicated tracks i've never seen a freight train on the subway right yeah you have that one maintenance train that goes around that they fill up with the garbage like that bottle on the platform there like yeah and you get sometimes you get the money train yeah that's the money always train fun to see. <laughs> the police are just pointing mp5s at you and you're nearly blackout drunk and you're just like man i just want to go home like <laughs> <laughs> the stations are close together 
most of the subway equipment, and by equipment I mean trains, they're making money most of the day, i.e. they're carrying passengers, right? Mm. So the more time your equipment is making money, the lower your fares can be, right? Because they're making money for most of the day. So, And your subway network usually covers a, a small area, right? So your, your subways are like in New York City, Chicago, Philadelphia, London, Paris, Berlin, Moscow, you know, that sort of system, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. it like can be underground, doesn't always have to be. The London Overground yeah. is like meaningfully the same as this. Actually, the London Overground is the next slide. Oh shit! Okay, never mind. Yeah. Disregard that. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I fucking I'm yeah I'm great at this. Okay, so your next step on the spectrum. Next gender. Yeah. And the next gender is what we might call in the United States we call it rapid rail. In Germany, you have the S-Bahn, <laughs> right? And I guess in London, you'd call it the overground, right? Yeah, I guess so. So I guess. I'm saying new, like I know. Yeah. <laughs> in the time between Usually, the last slide and this one, I have acquired a comprehensive knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> So this is like, uh, usually these systems are a little lower frequency than the subway, but they still usually run at least every 15 minutes or so, right? The stations are further apart, they cover a much wider area than the subway, except uh, like the London Piccadilly line that just goes way out in the boondocks to get to Heathrow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is the high speed line on here? Do we count the high speed line or is it some level of freak show? The the high speed line is a the the hunted is a freak show. Freak show I, yes. I love that. I love that train, man. I love yeah. love to get way out to the suburbs in like twelve fucking minutes. I then take a bus all the way, and then listen to the racist white people tell me why they can't possibly have better service in their area because the black people who work there, I don't know, will after their shift at the Gap at the King of Prussia Mall come to your stupid house in Ardmore, or whatever, and smash all your windows and take your TV. Which is totally fucking realistic. Every cashier, yeah, every cashier on the train yeah. is an MS13. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Don't tell, yeah. don't tell uh, the Cheeto in the White House that. <laughs> the, the M, the M at MS13 stands for I mm, work at the Gap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So your your rapid rail system, like the stations are farther apart, the whole network. Covers a wider area, still usually uses dedicated tracks, no freight trains, right? Still, most of the trains are carrying passengers for most of the day, right? And your fares are usually low. They're still distance-based a lot of the time. Like, BART in San Francisco has distance-based fares. They're not flat. Sometimes these are like multipolar systems, so they might serve two or more metropolitan areas. Um, so if you're... If you're looking at examples in the United States, definitely BART, definitely the Washington Metro, um, any German S-Bahn system, the London Overground. Uh, if you want to learn more about the American ones, go to Big Mood Energy's YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's your video on metros. It's very good. It's very United States-centric, of course, um, as is sort of this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> Amerocentrism. Yes. So as we continue down the spectrum, we get to where it starts to get funky, right? Which is regional rail. Oh, boy. Okay, which we, we talked about in episode three of this podcast way back in the day. Um, so sort of car- covers the same area as an S-Bahn, but less frequent, right? There's trains every hour or less on the off-peak, but more trains during rush hour, right? 
because there's more trains during rush hour than there are on the off-peak, that means you need a lot of trains to run service, but most of them are idle for most of the day, right? And you still need to have a lot of crews to run those trains, but most of those crews are idle for most of the day. Yes, do-nothing right? union jobs, baby. Yes. The classic. No, it's always... It's always good, but you know I like to be paid to do nothing too. That's why I'm a podcaster. <laughs> but we work hard, goddamn you! <laughs> paid nothing to do nothing. That's, that's the dream. That's the dream. Uh, I worked a job yeah. like that. Best, best goddamn job I ever had, man. I just stapled <laughs> shit for like seven months and fucking rolled. <laughs> <laughs> well, this means that your fares have to be higher to cover for all the trains and crews sitting there doing nothing for most of the day, right? So these are, you know, a lot of these regional rail systems, again, they serve multiple metro areas. Uh, sometimes they share tracks with freight railroads, which limits service flexibility. Some of your examples, Caltrain, which we're talking about today, SEPTA Regional Rail, some of New Jersey Transit. If you go to Europe, anything that's marked an interregio service is basically the same thing, except that that covers a whole continent as opposed to one metro area, which I don't we're a long way off from that here in the states we can only hope <laughs> one day one day bernie can still win Here's how. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's talk about the bad stuff uh all of all it ah right. uh, yes the classic commuter rail all right here's where it gets bad you have in commuter rail systems, this is the Virginia Railway Express. I used to take this train in high school. Um, you have very peaky service, right? So you yeah. will have no service in the middle of the day. A lot of times no service on weekends. A lot of times no service on holidays. And a lot of times service is almost all in the rush hour direction. You know, inbound to downtown in the morning, outbound in the evening, right? So, and it caters to folks working downtown uh, and they're working bankers hours, right? Nine to five, right? And they almost always share tracks with freight trains, which results in bizarre operational practices. And I'll explain using what I'm most familiar with, the Virginia Railway Express. All right. Yet really bad equipment utilization. Here's the rail yard at Broad Run, right? Which is at the end of the Manassas line here, which I used to take into high school every day, mm, right? Right next to Performance Dogs. <laughs> yes. For our podcast viewers, <laughs> we're looking at a satellite image of a small tin shed with a six-track yard out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by trees and a scrapyard. Yes. And Performance, performance Dogs. Dog, where Mike Vick absolutely uh, had it <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> temporarily closed unfortunately so you see in this yard one two three four five six trains right and if we look at the schedule manassas line northbound in the morning you will see one two three four five six <laughs> trains <laughs> leave this yard uh, go uh, to union uh. station in washington dc and then they sit there the whole day in the yard. And then in the evening, take my word for it, they come back. <laughs> usually. Yeah, usually. Oh, they've had some problems recently. They can barely even make this schedule now. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a major problem with commuter rail. 
um, where they don't use equipment very effectively. That's a lot of time because freight railroads limit the amount of moves they can make. In this case, for the VRE, there's something called the Long Bridge, which goes over the Potomac River, where CSX says you can only have 40 train movements for day or you will die. (laughs) Um, Just nationalize it. Just nationalize it. Just start pushing all the CSX shit over into the river. I don't fucking care. Like the Hueys like evacuating from Saigon. Yes, yes. You could just say, you could just say, hi, we're the government and we're here to take this bridge. And when CSX protests, you kneel down their CEO at dawn and shoot him over the bridge. There you go. When you say shoot him over the bridge, I picture in like a trebuchet. Somehow I imagined many furloughed CSX employees would enjoy this plan. (laughs) They're building like a $2 billion bridge over the Potomac adjacent to the existing bridge in order to run like 10 more trains a day across. Um, It's going to take 10 years to do it. It's bizarre. But you can see like commuter rail sometimes highly inefficient equipment wise, Mm. right? You're just storing, Um, you're just like using up six lines of track for all day to just for a train that goes nowhere. Yeah. Well, it goes somewhere. It just goes somewhere at specific times of day. Exactly. This is like transport fever bad. Ooh. No, no transport fever has much better equipment utilization. <laughs> we we have to stop the podcast because one of my thousands of mods that I've installed just breaks and like yeah. crashes to desktop. When when the train gets to the end of the line, it turns around, as opposed to here, where when the train gets to the end of the line, it goes in the yard and takes a nap for eight hours. <laughs> yeah, the big mood and railroad. Then, yeah, and the other thing is, like, this isn't even the worst that's going on in the area, because up here at Union Station, the VRE trains at least go into a yard. Uh, Mark, which is the Maryland commuter trains, they just go onto platforms at Union Station, and they use the platform as a yard. Ugh. <laughs> wow. We just park uh, my train here. I mean, that's what Caltrain yes. does as well and uh, during the middle of the day. If you look at 4th and Townsend in uh, San Francisco, it's just chock-a-block with uh, Caltrain consists and a few leaving every so often. Oh yeah, they, there's like 12, 14 tracks there mm-hmm. and a train that leaves every 30 minutes and a train that comes in every 30 minutes, right? Yep. You know, a lot of these huge stations, like Grand Central has a hundred and something tracks. It's a glorified train yard at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But you can sort of see here like having six trains to make six runs a day, not very efficient, right? <laughs> And you got to hire six crews for this, and that's that's why this is sort of uh this is sort of why fares have to be really high for this form of public transportation. And a lot of times these are like really balkanized systems. You know, DC has two commuter railroads, New York City has three commuter railroads, the Bay Area has at least is five. a disaster show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when you consider that there's a million transit agencies just in general. Mm. Yeah. Lond- Which, London's like at least two train operating companies, like Southeastern and Southern, and then probably another couple that I can't think of. Bring back Network Southeast. Yes. Yes. The God, trains yes. look so Give good. Me the, <laughs> <delivery>. <laughs> the, they look so good. But yeah, and sometimes these systems don't work together very good. Now we know a little bit about how commuter rail works in America today. We're going to go to the history of Caltrain. We're going to go back in time. 
to a picture yes. that I myself took, my only mm-hmm. Wikipedia contribution. <laughs> hmm. All right. So that means we, d- all right, we don't have to credit this one. Thank God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, uh, let's talk about Caltrain history. Um, since the 1860s, more or less, they've been running passenger trains up and down the peninsula, but the show really started going with uh, Southern Pacific president, uh, Edward H. Harriman, who designed a four-track main line to go between San Francisco and uh, San Jose. He only ended up laying half of that, but all the tunnels and bridges are built for that capacity to eventually be used or not. There's bridge abutments and in some cases uh, extant bridges which were built and don't have any tracks on them and never had since 1907. Um, So... The the whole idea of Caltrain also is a bit of a, a real estate scheme. Um, you want to drive obvious people paying passengers along your line, so you sell land along your line so you can develop uh, towns and cities along your line to hopefully get passenger and also freight hauled over your railroad. So starting in the turn of the century, they started running pretty regular trains and uh, obviously, it was all behind steam locomotives like the one you see, this beautiful P8 class Pacific. Um, and they had ordered what are also known as Harriman cars. And the deal with these cars is that they were they were kind of they were a unique development of of Pullman cars. They were lighter weight. They could uh, handle quite a few passengers. They were excellently designed and durable. And by they ordered a ton of them in 1923 to supplant the earlier equipment. And by uh, 1925, they were operating on just 10-minute schedules uh, with 10-minute headways between San Jose and San Francisco, which is excellent. I could only hope to have that. Which is better than they do now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With steam. That's insane. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And most of the commute, uh, the majority of the years that they had dedicated commute engines, and why do I say commute? Because there's no goddamn R. There's no R. It's a financial commute. Yeah. Okay. No R. They are Southern Pacific's commutes. They are not a commuter train. Um, this is worse than the time that I found out that the word restaurateur doesn't have an N. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, so typical uh, locomotive passenger power were uh, 46010 wheelers, uh, very well loved by the crews, and the 462 Pacific you see here. Um, they held down assignments until the early 50s, um, when they started to re- retire some of the other larger locomotives after World War II, um, and eventually bumped the smaller 10-wheelers, and in some cases, even the Pacifics, out of commute service. They got supplanted by gargantuan engines like 484 Northerns, like the GS4, for instance, and uh, uh, MT4 Mountains, and other big, powerful steam, TM. Um, <laughs> this was also an integral part of how a lot of Southern Pacific steam got saved because the SP commute line in particular was the last bastion of Southern Pacific steam in the entire like 4,000 mile network Hmm. because you know the SP's headquarters was down the street and lo and behold they were steam fans even if their accountants weren't (laughs) Um, the last steam powered uh, commute ran in January of 1957 that's pretty good and I mean yeah some some romance there for like steam likers. Um, where's that fucking train simulator DLC, man? <laughs> right. so Norfolk and Western kept running them until 1960. Ooh. And if we go, to- <laughs> <laughs> brag much? 
If yes. Let's go to the next slide and Virginia take a look boys. at uh, 4449. I was about to say, wow. assigned to the commute. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. buddy. Just, I, yes. you, you see why Ayn Rand develops a whole, like, insane ideology <laughs> around this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you look at this and you're just like, I mean, talk about the dildo liner, right? That is an obscene train. Oh yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, 4449 didn't look as beautiful as this when she was in commute service. All the skirting on the side, the orange bit, was uh, scrapped in the mid-40s to support the war effort, because clearly uh, they needed, like, five pieces of steel to make a few things. Did um, we win the war? Did and, we win the war, Miles? And, did we win the war, Miles? I don't know. Looking at scoreboard, from scoreboard, scoreboard, like, baby. Scoreboard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, while you two are arguing, I'm still just looking at this train, just like, oh, it's so orange. It's so orange. They should just paint all locomotives like this. An Operation Lifesaver wouldn't have to do anything. Because at some point, exactly. you, you're gonna see the big, dumb, orange train, and if you get hit by it, that's absolutely your fucking fault. You're gonna stop your car so you can watch it go right by. as it crushes you to death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, you'd stop it before oh, the before intersection, you get before, before the railroad crossing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just crushes right? your car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah train right, so good, to talk. bad. <laughs> so behind these beautiful locomotives uh, were the passenger cars, and they had uh, three distinct eras of passenger cars. So uh, before the, uh, in the turn of the century, they had uh, Harriman coaches, which are 60 foot long cars that seated about, I believe, about 80 people um, in relative luxury. They were painted a dark olive green. They had pretty nice ventilation and operable windows. Uh, the crews loved them, and they survived until 1967. The one on the screen now is a 72-foot suburban coach, uh, also a Harriman design. Those were built in 1923 by Pullman, and these lasted until 1985. It lasted wow. into the Caltrain era. There is a photograph a of an F, right? There's a photograph of a brand new F40 pulling a 1923 Harriman car. And if that isn't peak <laughs> transit... <laughs> Once again, I don't know, I, the MP fifty fours lasted longer. <laughs> <laughs> I just still, once again, I'm just like, <sighs> like doing a disaster podcast. It's so nice to just have to like even appreciating the many problems and failures of Caltrain to appreciate some nice trains, you know? Oh yeah, the fact that they use these to... in, like a pool of their own uh, vomit and yes. blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean. To be fair, normally I do piss and shit and vomit on my commute home, but that unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to the next slide and take a look inside these beautiful cars. Now, here's how they looked in the later years before they had a, a nicer upholstery job than the primary blue that you see here. But you can see that they're beautiful, well-maintained cars, and uh, they were that way until the end. They were they didn't go hmm. through a destitute period or anything because lovely you know, high ceilings. Oh yes, I like the uh, light fixtures. Those are nice. Oh, the light uh, fixtures are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, flippy chairs. They are flippy. Yeah, flippy seats. Love me some flippy yeah, seats. Fantastic design. And then uh, in they the early 1950s, Pullman uh, came to them again and wanted to order uh, something they were developing called gallery cars. And ah, uh, yes, classic <laughs> bi-level gallery cars. But why is it called a gallery car? It's because it has a big hole in the center of the car. Uh, so yes, you the prophesized train glory hole. Go on, Miles. Yes. So <laughs> the the glory hole, if you will, is so the conductor can punch tickets 
from the uh, ground floor and the second deck without having to go upstairs, which also avoids a very Scooby-Doo style fair evasion scenario where they're <laughs> running up and down. The <laughs> I like the idea of just like, like rolling under the flippy seats, turning it around and be like, no, I've been here the whole time. See? <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the Pullman Standard cars were also used by the Chicago Northwestern in Chicago and I think a few other operations spread around. And then the ones that you see on like the VRE, for instance, are second and third hand uh, from these orders. Um, yes, I, I took a 60-year-old gallery car into high school each yeah. day. It was pretty <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they're neat cars. Uh, a few of them were uh, were stripped and gutted and then built into... Uh, basically party cars for the ill-fated Transisco Tours, arguably one of the ugliest paint schemes to ever grace a locomotive and train set, uh, for an ill-fated 1984 Reno Fun Train. Oh boy, I gotta say that. doesn't sound fun at all. Transisco (laughs) Tours, you say. Yeah, there's definitely a Will There's Your Problem podcast about it. Didn't they take some apart from the Marlboro Train, too? Oh my god! Oh yeah, oh yeah, bud. Ooh! I don't like that at all. Train no longer no. good. <laughs> in the meantime, let's take a look on the interior of a uh, gallery car so you can see what's going on here. Yes. This is in the later uh, um, Japanese-built gallery cars that superseded the Pullman standard. But you can see that yes. you, can ha- you can punch tickets from the first floor. It's roomy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draw a cross-section so everyone knows what's, <laughs> what's going on here. All right. Oh, so yeah, there it you is. have Oof. on the top level, there is a seat here. On this side, you're just drawing there is Iron a seat Man now. Here, right, and then there's a railing. There's a railing, and then down here there are two seats, and there are two seats. Right now, in the middle of the car, right past this doorway, this is the middle of the car, right, and there's two little spiral staircases here, so you can get up to the second row of seats up here, and then on the other side of this part over here. It's the same thing, but backwards, right? Mm-hmm. It's a gallery car. Now, one of the funny things is when I rode the VRE, um, after they switched from M-Track Cruise to Cialis uh, French Cruise, they decided that rather than do the one pass-through and check tickets from people above and below, they would instead go up every aisle in the car individually. So you could oh, God. do this. <laughs> <laughs> It was a concession to American slapstick. Yeah. It just now right. took four times as long to check tickets on every car that's, for no that's reason. VRE, baby. That's VRE, baby. Yeah. Buster Keaton Before you move on, uh, I have posted the uh, the Francisco Tours livery in the Discord chat for you, Justin. It's yes, really. The- oh, it's gruesome. This is that Montreal Expo <laughs> sheet. Oh, I, boy. Ghost Bones, baby. This is horrible. <laughs> it it honestly like that. doesn't I, get any worse than this, guys. Like This, this is its own disaster. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I've always wanted to ride like around it. in the flag of Norway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the fl- no, it's the palace of the flag of Norway applied to the flag of South Africa. It is. Oof. Oh God, I, I love it so much. I, oh, I wish God. I didn't, but I love it so much. <laughs> All right, so uh, Steam was vanquished in 1957. But there was a there was F. what was known uh, as a transition period. Hmm. Um, because steam wasn't mm. going to last forever, and uh, 
Fairbanks Morris was about to kick off the Horsepower Wars. Uh, <laughs> Sunday, yeah. Sunday, 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 Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and just think, a decade before American muscle cars started doing the same thing. Mm. So most EMDs and Alcos of the post or immediate post-war period were like bragging with their belt buckles about having 1,500 or 1,700 horsepower. And then Fairbanks Morris enters the scene and body slams them with a 2,400 <laughs> horsepower monster known as the Train Master. That rules. Yes. Yes. The train master. In, yeah. the mo- <laughs> In the most appropriate use of this meme, this absolute unit was. <laughs> <laughs> was <laughs> I couldn't resist when I was like, this, wait a minute. Ah, here we go. Okay. <laughs> this absolute unit was powered by an opposed piston uh, World War II submarine engine. Oh, which like is a Delphic. Neat. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Very I much. Love, so. <laughs> I, I love putting marine engines in trains. It's the best marine thing. Marine engines you can do. and everything. Marine engines and everything. Absolutely. Yeah, I want one in my fucking cell phone. I want to be able to pick up <laughs> pick up my iPhone and just hit. You start you start uh you start using a higher power app and you hear the revs start to yes. increase. Oh, this is a this is a have too many. <laughs> oh my god. So, um a side note on that. Um yeah, there's a long storied history of uh tugboat uh and marine applications using locomotive uh prime movers. In this case it's the reverse, which is kind of cool. Cuz like EMD Often and Alco often used their prime movers in tugboats and other uh, marine craft, which were specifically designed for locomotives. Anyways, hmm. um, so they came on the scene with this 2400 horsepower train master. The SP tried it out, immediately loved it, bought one of the largest fleets of any of them, and promptly realized that, well, with all this horsepower to spare, it gives you kick ass acceleration. So you're able to keep what used to be the steam schedule. Uh, between all these stations they tried out other locomotives they tried uh emd sd7s and nines when they realized their gearing was too sluggish they just couldn't get off the line well um and eventually they supplanted the rest of the fleet with uh gp9s uh known as torpedo boats because they have the uh large air tanks on the roof that kind of make them look like you know pt109 insert jfk (laughs) reference here um well it's hard it's at least hard to do it no that's a different kennedy moving on I was going to do a <laughs> joke, but like you got to, you know, it's hard to toss a girl overboard, you know, when, when, you, when you can only go straight sort of deal. There hasn't been a Kennedy train disaster. Every other form of transit. <laughs> the, Car, yeah, just yes, wait. there plane. has. Yeah. Uh, yes, there uh, has. On, there has? Yeah. And, and All right. So the Bobby Kennedy funeral oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. That's not a Kennedy oh, disaster, really. That was a disaster. That, that for is other a Kennedy people, disaster. Man. The the funeral train in Elizabeth, New Jersey, right? A lot of people came came to watch the Kennedy, the Bobby Kennedy funeral train go past, right? And um, you know, a lot of people are trying to get good pictures of it. So when the when Bobby Kennedy's funeral train went through Elizabeth, New Jersey, it was coming in on track two. So a lot of people got the bright idea we can go out on track one. Oh and boy. start taking pictures of the train. It's going to end right? exactly like you Which think, they Dallas. Did. <laughs> yeah. 
And they did, in fact, do that. And the thing is, another train came through on track one almost immediately after and them into Bobby Kennedy's sauce. funeral train. Yeah. That's not a Kennedy yeah, four people. That's, that's hardly, you know, uh, giving you <laughs> that, the old Kennedy. No, that's more of another. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another, that's another Kennedy causing a disaster for another people, another person. Posthumously. Bay of Pigs was a good um, idea, and I'll stand by that. but anyways so uh let's continue on with our uh caltrain adventures here yeah i say one note about yeah one note about the train masters is one of the problems with using submarine engines is that uh the u.s navy basically bought every train master as it was retired to repower their submarines. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's there's only one of these left. It's in Canada. It's at Expo Rail, if I recall hey, correctly. Yeah, we've been there. So, That's correct. Yeah, because Canada and, cannot be trusted with submarines. Well, also the yeah, fact exactly. that that exact museum, uh, what is it, has Dominion of Canada they refuse to give back? They refuse to even let it go to Britain for fear that someone will steal it. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably wise. We, we totally would do that. They'll Elgin marble that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a here's actually uh, one of the uh, SD9s uh, known colloquially. There are only two SD9s that had steam generators, known as Huff and Puff, respectively. <laughs> um, they were used as, for officer specials and other things that didn't require quick acceleration. But uh, here is an example of one being tested out on commute service. Um, anyhow. The 101, which is the highway, the spine of the peninsula, uh, was completed in the mid-50s uh, as sort of a hodgepodge re-engineering of El Camino Real and has some really bad uh, 1940s, 50s highway engineering because of it. But it got people into their cars and ridership started to unsurprisingly decline. Um, by 1977, Southern Pacific reported a $10 million annual loss for commute operations and was definitely trying to uh, petition for its uh, cessation or abandonment. Um, inflation had also driven up uh, operation costs, you know, the 70s stagflation thing, uh, 58%. Jesus. And combine that with the Arab oil crisis in 1973, obviously affecting diesel fuel. Um, it, was a, it was a real bad situation. Um, and combine clearly all- the only answer: nuclear powered trains. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So should have electrified. Yeah. Ex- well, <laughs> that's a, a another little side note uh, we'll get into later. But um, yeah. Anyhow, by August 1973, only 7,300 people were riding the cal- uh, the uh, commute service a day. Oh, wow. wow. And they petitioned the Public Utilities Commission to abandon ops, but the PUC was like, uh, no, guys. Just, yeah. Those so, 7,500 people uh, need their train service. So here's, yes. the, here's, a, here's where it gets interesting. So the, the SP, known as the octopus around the turn of the century, the all-powerful uh, economic uh, powerhouse that owned a lot of politicians throughout California history, you know, they decided to nonchalantly pick up the rotary dial telephone and start calling around and pulling on some leashes and pulling on some loose threads. And uh, eventually, the state and the counties agreed that they would uh, they would underwrite two, a two hundred and fifty million dollar uh, bond to underwrite the debt and to improve the service. So that brings us to our next slide. Before we leave the SP, uh, just to say how much influence they had. 
Has anyone heard of the cell phone carrier Sprint? Oh, God. No. Did you know I'll Sprint? Bite. What is Sprint? Sprint. Sprint is an acronym. Yep. What so the it stands for? Railroad something something telecom? Something a Southern Pacific Railroad Internal Network Telecommunications. Yes. Oh, damn. Side note with Sprint, they were the first uh, network in the entire world to lay fiber optic cable extensively around the state. And uh, they had specific trains that they had built speci- uh, with the express purpose to uh, bury fiber optic cable uh, at a nice walking pr- pace w- using these giant reels. There's some really hmm. cool pictures of it. Yes. Anyhow, um, so the transition... was going to be the 4G standard, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, it, it turns into an interesting second transition era here. So Caltrans, which we've mentioned before, which is the State Department of Transportation, uh, decided to work with the Southern Pacific on a 10-year lease structure, um, handling Caltrans specifically handled setting policies for passenger service, maintenance, performance standards, scheduling trains and fares. But Caltrain, Caltrans doesn't know how to run railroads, so they kept uh, <laughs> SP on hand for doing management and actually operating the trains with SP employees, trains, conductors, the whole deal. But here was the string, the string that Caltrans said, knowing the SP was falling apart at the seams in the 1970s, they gave them a 90% on-time train performance mandate. Hmm. Yes. yes. So, Fuck them. Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, it seems unbelievable today, especially with Amtrak on performance time uh, being somewhere in the 40% tile, you know. Jesus. So they wanted something truly exceptional. So, uh, 40 The Northeast Corridor is fine. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> the Northeast Corridor is fine. It's much better than 40%. Yes. Um, everywhere else is probably yeah, like... Long distance service in the West, we're, though, is... Uh, good luck, you fuckers. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, it can get pretty egregious. I remember uh, waiting for a California Zephyr on a platform last uh, last summer. And the keep in mind that the Emeryville station is the first station out of the coach yard. Uh, I got there at about 10.30 and waited until 2. The train eventually, I eventually left. Um, the train pulled into Emeryville, uh, which is like 500 feet from the coach yard, um, at 9 p.m. What the fuck? Oh, my God. What? God. Mm. Why? Train bad. Yeah, okay. It went bad. I changed my mind. <laughs> train bad. I'm going to buy a Tesla with all my podcast money. <laughs> <laughs> So I get um, autopilot right into a truck. Yeah. So let's go back to uh, for a second here. So in 1973, you had 7,500 people riding the train a day, right? That was spread over 44 trains. Think about that. So yeah, shit, I got a lot of space to spread out. Yeah. yeah. Liam, you're the math major. 166 people per train, which is that's a really lot. Which that, you could fit in one a car. single gallery car, yeah. Um, anyhow, uh, 44 trains a day turned into 52 by day one of Caltrain operation. And by 1982, yes. they started experimenting with push-pull service using the uh, um, bi-level cars and cab cars and such. Um, and then... That's, that's when the train stays the same direction, but there's an extra cab in the last passenger car 
so that you know they can control the locomotive remotely they can go either direction without turning the train around right yes and also get tragically yes. crushed in any head-on collision with other railway equipment don't crash the train <laughs> that's easy don't do it so 1985 is when Caltrain <laughs> starts looking like Caltrain. You had this weird, like, kind of SP, kind of not transition period. Uh, look at with this uh, bizarre uh, yeah, the GP bloody pipe. nose, but with the stripes. It's yeah, weird. no, th- it wasn't. This looks good. great. I love it. I love this library. Oh, yeah. I I will I will defend this to the death. This looks great. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm a train. Edit. I go vroom vroom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, it let's does go look like a play. toy train. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, not the best graphic design I've ever seen for uh, anything Southern Pacific related, sadly. All right, so let's move on to the next slide, where we have oddly the reverse. You have what the if car in the yeah okay oh, oh, yeah. yeah. So you've got the Pullman standard cars in the uh, scheme that the GP9 was in, but now you have the fancy silver twin stripe Caltrain of the future. Hmm. So, on 1985, the F40s roll on the situation, uh, on the scene, and uh, then it started perking up. Ridership increased, people started flocking back to it, and it was right around that time that uh, technology, you know, obviously Silicon Valley was about to bloom, the 90s. So, slowly. So what you're saying is massive government investment and yeah. nationalization is very good. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that. <laughs> Why would I? We're on this podcast, aren't we? Um, mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah, it, it actually is a success in that respect. Um, ridership increased year over year for almost every year. Um, more people started moving to the Bay Area because of uh, tech jobs and uh, military industrial complex related aerospace jobs. Um, and the, 90, the late 80s, 90s and early aughts until the pets.com era. Um, ah yes the first bubble um showed steady ridership increases increases in service everything was peachy um you know then there was a little bit of a dent with the pets.com bubble but everybody got on their feet just to be knocked down again in 2008 of course ridership followed the the economic uh crashes of waves uh until this year the longest yes. year in human existence. <laughs> well, I mean, we had the plague at some point in the past, yeah, but yeah. You know. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's that's the funny thing is is listening to people being like, "Well, you have like a cell phone and bin, 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 access to the internet," and I'm like, "Yeah, guess what? It's a very human thing to still be so goddamn bored, man." Okay, mm-hmm, like, yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, like, you can't stand in the, in the face of progress, butt face, but, like, I sure can, and I'm annoyed by it. <laughs> Come on, you're not baking banana bread and learning Spanish and Portuguese at if the I same time. one more goddamn sourdough <laughs> recipe, I am going to personally fly to Facebook headquarters and, call, and, like, bring Mark Zuckerberg in front of the global cabal of Jews and be like, all right, listen, Mr. Soros, something must be done. <laughs> Look, the shit that you're supposed Supposed to do when you get bored in quarantine is start a podcast. We already did that, so we're yeah, out of ideas. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. The game. So we're going to learn Spanish, Portuguese. I don't need to learn Portuguese. Um, Italian. Um, what else? We're going to learn them all at the same time. Romanche. It's called. It's we'll called. Le- we're learning Portuguese from exposure to the sentence "Yaya Bolsonaro has tested <laughs> positive for coronavirus." <laughs> Again. <laughs> 
The only positive news. Literally, actually. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> in about the mid 2000s, uh, Caltrain started experimenting with what was called the baby bullets. And uh, the Southern oh, Pacific community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spoiler yes. alert you want to guess which locomotive they used for the baby bullet? Yeah. Train masters. Train masters. Nope. Oh. No, they're the dildos. Yeah. Nah. Oh, oh, With, oh. I don't the, I don't like that combination yeah, at all. No, it's it's you know, Jeffrey Epstein is <laughs> so a major is. investor in Caltrain, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they started experimenting with baby bullets. We're just express limited. It's nothing fancy, but people lost their shit about it. It's like, oh my god, Caltrain, so amazing. Yay, I can't imagine anything better than these baby bullets. And like literally he people skipped were a stop. It. Holy it shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, considering, considering that Southern Pacific had done this consistently in commute service until the late sixties, I'm not sure why they're so excited, but whatever. Um, so that brings us to electrification, which is a cool thing and dates back to 1907. Hmm. Um, uh, Edward Harriman wanted a fully electrified main line over the Sierras, um, kind of like what the Milwaukee road did up North in Montana. Um, that never came to pass. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> and uh. they did a, a, a whole rundown of like how it would work and, they did a whole cost-benefit analysis. It turns out that in uh, 1917, to electrify the entire com- peninsula commute corridor, you want to guess how much it would cost? Uh, more money than existed in the world. Nope. $75. <laughs> you're, actually close. you're actually close. $50 billion. It, it was a paltry $1.5 million in 1917. <laughs> stuff was cheaper back yeah. then and that includes new locomotives and overhead wire yep so and then of course you have to adjust it for inflation it's not as small as you know it is today but you get the idea um if the bulk of the cost was like haberdashery or something <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you have to provide like shiny silver buttons for all of the railroad mm-hmm. cops uniforms mm-hmm. so yes it so it got very interesting. They did the full study. They're looking, and they were just filling in uh, what turned what ended up being Bayshore Yard at the time. They were in the middle of completing that, and they were like, you know, we even though we bored these tunnels and laid these bridge abutments, like uh, filling in even more of the the bay is going to be super expensive, and I don't want to do it. So they're like, uh, and they never. Oh yeah, it was like an it was like a spin-off of Clueless. It wasn't, you know. Anyways, um so they were they never decided to four-track the main line despite building the infrastructure for it. They never electrified despite building infrastructure for it. Um and then they kind of tabled it. Uh it came up uh, again in the 40s, no no dice. It came up again in the 70s briefly, no dice. Um and then Caltrain got the brainy idea relatively recently to do CalMod, which is this fantastic and honestly, probably the best thing they'll ever do, um, complete catenary EMU uh, setup for Caltrain to uh, completely electrify the entire main line. Oh, and but we don't need that now because we can just have a tunnel full of Teslas. Yeah. It's too late for you. Trains. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Okay, yeah, you had your chance. Yeah. You had your chance. 
So we can actually ha- take a fun look at, uh, at history as an example of how this will probably go post-corona. Um, in the North Bay, the, ne- the Northwestern Pacific Third Rail electrified lines ran these hilariously rickety 1870s coaches they literally stuffed uh, trolley traction motors in. Um, they were known as the, mm-hmm. the peanuts because of the whistle they had sounded like a peanut. It's very funny. Um, they were How does something <laughs> sound like a peanut? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. Uh, I could show you via the uh, the chat later. It's a very uh, entertainingly small whistle. But anyways, so um, when the De- Great Depression happened in twenty nine, they had bought all these. Uh, if you're a Pacific Electric fan, you'll know what blimps are. The large seventy two foot riveted steel interurban coaches with the big round windows on the front. Um, they just and- ran them in the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fucking uh, move, folks. You got. You can move. So- you can move. So de- before the Depression, they were running both the blimps and the old rickety peanuts together. And once the Depression happened, they just retired all the peanuts. They scrapped them. Um, and what, that's, that's probably what will happen here. We'll see a, little, we'll see a much shorter transition period from diesel to uh, EMU uh, since we have the downtime to finish the electrification, at least to uh, 4th and Townsend. Uh, and then basically diesels will disappear and then they'll appear on Ozark mountain rail car for surprisingly cheap. And then Metro will buy all of them. Uh, I will buy them. Yes. I will buy them with <laughs> yeah. We, we will have get a podcast yes. train. Yes. Um, but like, but here, here's, here's the thing. Like what is the advantage of electrification? Right. Um, cool. so yes, it's cool. It's number one, it's environmentally friendly. Number two, but we're talking about something much more important than that, which is it gets you to your job faster. Mm. Um, so their current Caltrain mod- uh, modernization, the way they're going to do it is, and they're, this is underway right now, it was underway before the Roni hit, is they are buying these. This is a train set manufactured by a company called Statler in Switzerland, right? Where's Waldorf? Mm-hmm. And just um, use it on the interregios in, uh, in Europe, too. And yes, thanks to it's Lord, called it's not the Lord, it's a Bombardier product. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. It's called the Stadler Kiss. Oh no. Yeah, it's a, it's a sequel to the Stadler. This is genuinely, no joke, this is a sequel to the Stadler Flirt. Yes. Yes. God damn it. Why did they do this? God, I hate yeah. Why did we buy a train from the European Institute of Sexual Harassment? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like when, you, when you read about like JDM market cars that are called like the Honda, like, big jump hug, and you're just like, yes. oh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're like, I'm sorry, they, like, don't name a train the flirt, like, please don't. I love to ride, I love to ride the express hair sniff. They have a third, they have a third, um, uh, uh, sexually suggestive, uh, train, uh, model. I forget what it's called, though. The Statler the Bump and Uglies, call it the Statler Bump and Uglies, do it, do well, it, like, I think I think the one before the flirt was called the vert, which is not like not sexually suggestive to my knowledge at all. Well, <clears throat> Uzi vert. There you go. <laughs> all right. So, so the idea is this is a lightweight electrical multiple unit, right? So this is different from other electrical multiple units which have existed in the United States before. Because they all complied with the FRA buff strength test, which is basically like, you know, a sort of raw strength, you know, you need to be able to withstand an 800 pounds, 800 
thousand pounds impact on each end mm. right it's a wink is the is the other one which by the oh, way is a fucking, yes, that's the it's a uh-uh. fucking acronym because uh-uh. the swiss have deranged vandelbare innovative stop it it's back our gold too it's a convertible <laughs> innovative short train for local transit uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's extremely the erratic. They, they also have. What is wrong they also with you, have. They, they also have a tango, <laughs> something called a spatz, uh, and uh, Jesus Christ, and a smile. Right, we're gonna tap dance. Yeah, I don't. I don't like any of that, man. I don't like any of that. No. Yeah. Right, so because because we have a highly lightweight train, which is illegal in most of the United States, but legal here, you can have schedules which are faster, because they accelerate more quickly, uh, they stop more quickly, um, they can run more quickly on the same tracks, they make runs end-to-end more quickly. Um, They have more doors than the gallery cars, which means you're not stopped at the station for the same amount of time. And this saves time on the commute, but it also means you need fewer trains that are on the same schedule, or you can use the same number of crews to run more trains uh, at no extra cost to you, right? Right, because you're paying the guys anyway. The trains are already there. Camera crew is paid for. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is once they electrify the system and run these trains, you're reducing headways from every 30 minutes to every 10 minutes, right? Yeah, it's all sounding quite European, even down to the road. Uh, no, this sounds, this sounds classist to me. are 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 the mark of the proletariat from what i understand yes yeah you should only be able to have this service like a train every 10 minutes but the train is a soviet diesel it arrives belching black smoke (laughs) over everything ah the movements of the uh, the movements of the proles yeah i don't really get on i don't really understand with good train service is bourgeois uh yeah carry on I'm just baffled. We'll talk about the Soviet high-speed train one of these days. <laughs> the Moscow-St. Petersburg run was going as fast as the modern Northeast Corridor back Jesus in the 80s. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's beats, beats fucking Aeroflot at that time, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, you know, you don't have to worry about falling out of the sky if you're on a train. <laughs> yeah, just turn your ass out. <laughs> you do have to worry about Aeroflot landing on top of you, but, like, it's oh, fine. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Probably fine. So yeah, this is move. This moves the system up the spectrum we discussed earlier from like a regional rail to something that's a lot more like an S-Bahn or like the BART, which is just over the river, and will soon make it all the way into San Jose. So you'll have like really good commuter, um, really good like rapid rail uh, transit on both sides of the bay, right? right? Uh, we can only the, hope. The end. Re- yeah. <laughs> the end result of this is that since you're increasing train service increasing train performance and you're using the trains and crews more efficiently, you're lowering the cost of running the trains per passenger, um, which means you could reduce fares. You can make this a more equitable train just by running more trains, right? You know, if, if, if you're running this sort of horrible, like, economically exclusive commuter service, the solution is to just run more trains. Train good, and, after all. Yes, I mean, that's I mean, the argument you've, you've. I mean, you've made to me a couple times with regards to SEPTA too, because you know people do like myself bitch and moan about how much like a zone where a zone one fare costs to get up to somewhere like Maniunk, and it's just we could be running these every ten minutes if we were serious, and we should be. 
Yes. One of the benefits of it as well is um, if anybody's been to Vancouver, BC, like their their little underground service runs every three minutes. So you never have to worry about, oh, no, am I going to miss a train? It doesn't matter. It's just there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's one of the most satisfying, low stress transit experiences I've ever had. It's like all you have to do is go downstairs in operating hours and you're going to get a train. Yeah, that was my that was my experience uh, along with Ross with uh, Toronto as well. Toronto, excuse me. Was that really? oh you missed the okay. train? Okay. The next one will be here in five minutes or less than that, whatever yeah. it was. It, I was the, just the Toronto subway is ridiculous. It's just how frequently it runs. That's fantastic. Andy Byford does good work when he's allowed to. Andy Byford, um, come on the podcast. Fuck you, Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, Andy Byford, come on the podcast. <laughs> Talk about the New York City subway. <laughs> Just curse out Andy Byford. We're here for it. <laughs> Excuse me. Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. But yes. So, you know, it'd be more equitable service if it ran more frequently as opposed to defunding it, which it seems to be the way we're heading right now. Now, there are still problems, of course, you know, which might be outside the purview of Caltrain that might result in their passengers being wealthier than average, chief among them being... California housing policy. <laughs> <laughs> Which painting is this, by the way? I was, I was very curious. Um, Liam, you, you put this in the chat. The, is this um, of, it's the Harrowing of Hell by uh, Von Swanenberg, who I believe was a taught young Rembrandt. Really? Uh, yes. I see. Very wow. good. Yes. All right. So the thing about California housing policy, I'll try and get this done as quickly as possible, right? Everyone with an opinion on California housing policy is wrong. Yep. Right? <laughs> yes. Don't, don't, don't come for us, Tots. I don't want to fucking hear it. The Yimbies are wrong. The NIMBYs are wrong. The DSA is wrong. The Democrats are wrong. The Republicans are wrong. The local advocacy groups are wrong. The state advocacy groups are wrong. The developers are wrong. The landlords are wrong. Everyone on Twitter is wrong. I am wrong, and you are wrong. <laughs> Agreed. A subject about which it is impossible to be correct. Yes. Yes. Now, if you want my opinion, is that there's a dialectic at work here, which is that there are two ways for landlords to make money, right? Let's start out with this as an axiom. The first way is to build and rent or sell more housing. And the second way is to not build or rent or sell more housing and also make sure no one else does. Mm -hmm. And then raise the rent on what you already got. Right? Yes. Both of these are very viable ways to make money, but the second one has a higher return on investment. Right? <laughs> So, you know, if you're in uh, most cities have a few high profile uh, developers who are like, yeah, we're going to build really big apartment buildings, blah, blah, blah. And then there's an army of small landlords and homeowners who are entirely opposed to new housing. You know, at least the ones are like, yeah, I need to make sure my investment goes up in value. Right. And these tensions have resolved themselves in different ways in different locations. But in California, the army of small landlords and homeowners has won out almost everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, it's all incredibly restrictive zoning everywhere. Everyone has to live in a single-family house, which is one story. There's almost no, like, apartment buildings or anything like that. 
Your property taxes are locked in at 1976 levels. Thank you, Prompt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the proposition. Yeah, oh. because of the yeah. proposition system. It's like it's yeah. been fucked. It's been fucked since the days of well before Southern Pacific, but even when it was like orange groves getting turned into tract housing, it's still fucked now. I don't know if it can ever get better aside from fully parody in Minecraft. There have well, been uh, movements to repeal Prop 13, and well, you can see where that went. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, but the result of this is that every every California homeowner is now a kulak. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're cancelled. Hey, hey, Dad, how's it going? <laughs> I don't know if you're on the podcast. So, like, I know, like, I'm usually kind of sympathetic to homeownership because renting sucks. Mm-hmm. But if you own a home in California. In a desirable area, you like own like I don't know a 1945 Craftsman on a small lot, and it's like three and a half million dollars. Oh, yeah. um, you have a vested and you interest in maintaining like, that wild overvalued. So obviously, you're going to keep your property taxes low. You don't want any new development yeah. because that'll dilute your yeah. your exactly. So the and it the, gets even worse when you have uh, speculation from out of state, out of country buying up these cute little bungalows mm-hmm. for you know fight unseen. Uh, like I have, there's a uh, real estate office down the street that proudly has these little printouts in the window that says 57% over asking, 47% over asking. And you're like, the asking price was already $1.2 million for a house. Right, because of artificial scarcity, you've got, exactly. But it's on a 50 by 100 lot. You're up each other's asses and you're paying almost $2 million for this little house. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's study like I just build some like row houses or some shit. Right. Like, come on, come on, you're like 1945 bungalow is not that special. It's fine, it's like, fine. You, you can sell it, and you know, I you you could like you could like build some denser housing here. Like, come on, this is like, but yeah. So because of Proposition 13, tax property taxes basically do not go up. So there's no reason for you to ever sell your house. Um, it's really easy to pass down your house to your kids without any sort of tax penalty at all, uh, your home's value will go up forever and you will never be taxed proportionally uh, for that, right? Um, I did a caveat here. I used to think this is the most absurd taxation policy in the world, and then I heard Alice on the last Hell of a Way to Die <laughs> bonus episode uh, and with Al- yeah, Alice and Milo talking about the council tax, and I was like, well, yeah, that's worse, worse actually. <laughs> that's worse. Taxes somehow still worse we literally fought you over the a war with you over this mm-hmm. see yeah yeah. Right. yeah so we've done slightly better than that slow down um, slow down yeah, <laughs> slightly better so places like menlo park palo alto redwood city they're very desirable wealthy communities with no constituency to advocate for denser housing or zoning or public housing and, you know, this dialectic of, you know, a good way to raise housing prices is to either build housing or not build housing. I think the way to do it would be to build public housing to achieve a sort of positive synthesis, right? Oh, but, that's um, crazy. You can't do that. The Bay Area is such an absurd edge case that, you know, maybe you could just loosen zoning. Maybe you should just do that. Maybe you should let some people build some apartment blocks on these dumb parking lots next to the train stations, you know? Thankfully, there has been some really good uh, um, progress in that. BART specifically 
has made this amazing program to develop all of its parking lots, and they're big parking lots spread all around each station into affordable housing. And they've been doing a bang up job. Like uh, all of the new development in and around MacArthur BART Station in downtown Oakland, we went from a disused uh, parking lot that often had more broken glass on it than anything else to, uh, I think, something like a 40-story tower and a couple of other auxiliary, maybe 27-story? I don't know how. Yeah, 27 Ooh, stories. Nice. Um, and a bunch of other uh, lower-rise um, affordable housing buildings. And they did this amazing permitting thing where there was like, literally a deadline before, like, past this deadline, we can't ever do it again. And Bart was like, okay, let me fill out all of these <laughs> forms to get all of these approved. And so... Love it. Love it. And so they're building on top of all of their stations that are underground that they can. They're building in all of the parking lots along all of the major stations, with few exceptions, of course. Um, and it's all coming together. All the buildings are getting built nicely. They look good, you know, for as good as contemporary architecture can be. Um, you know, they're tasteful. Uh, and yeah, it's working well. There's more of that happening along Caltrain, too. Um, they're doing... Uh, they're flipping some of the parking lots, some of which were privately owned, some of which were state uh, or county owned, and they're putting uh, uh, condos and apartments on top of them with a slant towards affordable housing. But, you know, affordable housing in the Bay Area, let's be real here, is like $3,000 a month for an apartment. So, yeah. Yeah. And Uh, of course, there are ones tied to income and other things for like truly low income people. But yeah, when quote unquote low income housing is in you know two to three thousand dollar a month range, like oh my god! Didn't they make a big stink in Berkeley about like a parking lot being redeveloped too? Oh yeah, there's the, the North Berkeley Bart. They lost their shit about because it's a tiny, it's a, a 1940s era suburb, uh, and with a giant parking lot the size of a city block with the station like tiny in the center of it. And no, they were like a 700 story building on there. Just, you know, <laughs> just do red Vienna. Just do the first <laughs> 700 stories of public housing right there. I personally, you, again, the neighbors <laughs> in Presidio Bay, I'm, I'm going to build that parking lot. And then I'm going to put the, the launch arcology from SimCity 2000 on top of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yeah, they they've been raised a stink. They were, I think, they were getting grumpy about even like a four story building or something that was going to be mixed use with community oh space God. and the whole like Berkeley checklist of things that you would love, you know, like granola dispensers and hemp uh, bathroom towels and the whole deal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they they kept shooting it down because, of course, you know, they want to preserve the fabric of their nineteen forties neighborhood and you know, blah blah blah, you know, the classic. I live, I, I listen, I live in an 1890s neighborhood and I would be fine with that shit. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take the damn hemp toweled uh, granola dispenser. And here's the funny <laughs> thing. On the other side of Berkeley near Ashby Bart, they got all approved, no questions asked, beautiful development that they're going to start building in a, in a year or two. You know, uh, a very much needed place for density. Um, yeah. So like the difference between North Berkeley and South Berkeley seems to be pretty marked in that even. Moral of the story, just build the damn housing. All mm-hmm. right, we're canceled by all the San Francisco Bay Area DSAs now. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, your Craftsman Bungalow neighborhood is not special. It all came out of the damn Sears catalog. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Literally. It, it, it like right. became that out of an orange grove due to a series of like corrupt land and water deals. Yeah. There's a Side bunch note. of private investigators buried under all of the foundations. Ha, huh, definitely. Side note, there is a fantastic silent film by Buster Keaton called Two Weeks, in which he attempts to build one of the Sears catalog homes. Please, I implore you to go watch it. It's on YouTube. Oh, that sounds good. I'll put a link to that in the description. Um, so anyway, uh, I guess to sort of conclude this, the end result of this discussion we have is, you know, it's kind of goofy to, to fund Caltrain when, you know, they have the problems of commuter rail regional rail but they're the agency which is working the most and has the best idea to address so many of the these economic uh inequality issues you know it's weird to defund them right now in the name of more equity yeah, transit funding or whatever priorities yeah and anyone who's riding caltrain right now in the middle of a pandemic is someone who doesn't have any other option right. let's yeah. get real and I think if, if if you're looking at like you know certainly Bay Area projects that ought to be defunded, you know maybe we shouldn't be spending money on this. Maybe you ought to look at some of the capital projects which have gone on recently. So what we're looking at here is a cross section of the Trans Bay Transit Center, right? So this was this this replaced the uh, Trans Bay Terminal. A beautiful nineteen. 19- 40-era terminal for the uh, key system and interurban electric uh, trains that used to go across the Bay Bridge on the lower deck. Yeah, uh, I remember from the, the, the best train simulator route, the Sacramento Northern. Oh, I still yes. need to download that. Ugh. Um, but uh, yes, it replaced this. Uh, as a person who lived through this entire transition period, uh, we, we all honestly thought they were just going to tear down the Trans Bay Transit Center and never replace it with anything. Um, I mean, it, it was a good-looking building, and what they replaced it with is not a good-looking building. It's a block. I, it had I, a beautiful roof, yeah. though. I, I must admit, yeah. like, not a huge fan of the major structure, but the roof, the roof park is fantastic. Well, I've never been there, so <laughs> I will reserve full judgment until one day I am able to leave my house and go to San Francisco. Psych! <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so this is a cross section of the Transbay Transit Center. The old, um, the old key system terminal was like you know this area up here, which is now a bus terminal, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which was perfectly serviceable before they built this. Um, the idea was they were going to build a a new terminal, which would service the buses more efficiently because they converted the interurban into a bus system, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And then they would also build a big hole in the ground where they would have high, they would have high speed trains and also Caltrain, right? right. Um, so one of the things they did when they built this station is they forgot to build the tunnel that would bring the trains into the box underground. Yep. Womp. Yeah. You, you don't have your trains hook up. Yeah, and one yeah, of the there's... most. Biggest snafus of any of the projects in the Bay Area in time immemorial. Uh, yeah, there's a long S-curve that's supposed to connect uh, the 4th and Townsend Caltrain Terminal uh, and duck underneath uh, south of Market to connect with the train box, which is downtown, uh, you know, many blocks away. And they started 
they demolished the original Transbay terminal, dug the hole, put the train box in, built the station, and have not started at all on the tunnel that would connect any of the rail service with the rest of the network. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This this whole station, right, today serves the same purpose as the bus station that was there before. It took eight years to build. Yep. It cost $2 billion, right? Mm-hmm. And it now serves the same function as it did before, while looking different. <laughs> and... <Yeah. laughs> you know... And constantly having um, issues with its structural stability and roadway having issues and closing constantly and reopening constantly. It's been a bad teething process, sadly. I, and, and, and there's this whole box for trains that's never been used. There was no reason to build this thing, right? I mean, there, but the other thing is, like, the whole Caltrain electrification modernization project for 60 miles a track or so cost less than this one station. Correct. Right. And, like, they're quadrupling service with that amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, these, these huge these huge vanity projects dominate transit funding in America today. Like, there's no emphasis on, like, well, what if we spent this money to increase service? It's like, no, we're going to build, like, a really fancy station, and then I'm going to be able to stand in front of it and cut the ribbon, and all my contractor friends are going to be able to, you know, profit off the grift. There's no money into, like, just, I don't know, running more trains. Once again, like, uh, as with... <laughs> As with nuclear reactors, we're back to uh, the best thing is very boring and unsexy. Yeah, yes. standardized. No matter so how much you try to call the train the like uh, the sex laker or whatever, um, <laughs> goddamn sweat. It's, it's not sexy. Yes. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's, uh, it, it's exactly right. It's, we talk about you know, and, and that's one of the things I think, especially for those of us, I know all four of us here, and obviously most people listening who are into transit and sort of infrastructure that's so goddamn frustrating, especially the media coverage, these sort of pie-in-the-sky nonsense projects that'll never fucking work, the media attention they receive. When it's like, well, you know, why do we still have to use the fucking Hellgate Bridge? Or Hellgate Port? Like, shit like that. Why is the, you know, why is the link into New York still not done? It's just basic shit like that. And then you have people who are like, ah, gadget bonds and Elon Musk. And it's like, no, still no. You have to like be very basic about how people get places, and you don't need to make it more complicated. Mm-hmm. You have a shitload of infrastructure. You're gonna run a shitload more trains on without doing very much exactly. effort. You know, instead of instead of like I don't know, I'm gonna rebuild uh, a million miles of of. Well, I'm I'm gonna rebuild a station. That's the real issue. Is like I'm gonna build a bigger station. Right, and it's going to be a better passenger experience because the station, I don't know, has more natural light or something. This does not apply to uh, it's like, uh, New York Penn, which should absolutely be rebuilt. This does by apply. Brick. This does apply to New York Penn. <laughs> New York Penn could be greatly improved by operational changes without moving, like w- without putting a single shovel brick by in the brick, ground. Russ. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> glass by glass pane, statue by statue. Exactly. Well, I mean, there is there is one advantage of the new Transbay terminal. It has more shopping. TM. Everything doesn't it have to be a fucking God. mall. The thing below. <laughs> see the thing above the train box there. That's supposed to be a shopping mall. I kid you not. And is it? No. no. It's just like the actual yeah. Transbay terminal that preceded yep. it. They fucking uh, ruined. 
uh, Washington Union Station like that too, or wash whatever. Washington Union Station at least has a mall that exists. Yeah, there's a Pizzeria Uno there. <laughs> wow, I yes. didn't hear about those. I, in a long I, time. I really like Pizzeria Uno. That's like one flaw as a person. I'm a huge fan mm. of Chicago pizza too. That's another story. Pass. Um, <laughs> there, there is an interesting story about the original Transbay Terminal and shopping. Oddly, um, they had they also had a shopping console course in the original Transbay Terminal, which uh, closed with the with the end of Interurban Electric Service in 1958. But instead of gutting it, they literally just put a padlock on it and closed it off, and then hid it behind a wall. And before Ooh. and the week before the demolition. They opened that door, and for one single night, they had people run around taking pictures and salvaging everything that had basically been left in place since 1958. It was like an uh, it was like a, a Fallout expansion pack. It was incredible. There's photographs of it online. The last American Orange Julius. Yes, exactly that kind of shit. <laughs> well, now there's a ton of them. The last yeah. Orange Julius is no longer the last Orange Julius. And I'm honestly kind of frustrated by that because I went all the way to goddamn Toronto for it, and now they're just all over the place. I blame Stranger Things. Yes, we will all we will all wind up in the Eaton Center one day in our it's lives. A, that's a hell of a place, <laughs> um, man. Everyone winds up in the Eaton Center anyway. So yeah, a lot of a lot of public transit funding winds up in these vanity projects as opposed to actually improving operations that help people as opposed to, you know, having the same operations that happen in a flashier station, right? Which is just dumb. Extremely dumb. Love to be in the trains box. Yes. Yes. Right in the train box. <laughs> Said Miles put a whole bunch of notes here, which I don't know what they are, about the joint powers boards and stuff like that. Because it's confusing to me. <laughs> it's confusing to everybody. I feel like it's the yeah. uh, the bureaucratic version of the California housing problem. Uh, everybody is wrong, and they <laughs> basically what it what it boils down to in the most succinct way is that um, there's a lot of different organizations that operate the trains and the infrastructure and the bridges and uh, the all of the buses and every transit piece of the pie in the Bay Area, right? But annoyingly, they're all a different joint powers board. So they're all this weird melange of different people and interests, and they constantly rub knuckles with each other. And, you know, they create these unbelievably crazy budgets of which, you know, some of it obviously ends up in the pockets of various individuals, I'm sure. You know, I can neither confirm nor deny that for legal reasons, but you get the idea. Um, <laughs> And it's just this mess. A lot of people have been calling for uh, the BART board to buy Caltrain. And it is a fascinating idea. And frankly, it should be explored. Um, I'm not for, for or against it at the moment, because clearly we need to do a little bit more research to figure out if that would actually be an effective uh, solution. Um, but suffice to say, it is a very infuriating process to do anything transit-related in the Bay, because you have to deal with overlapping joint powers boards rubbing knuckles with each other. Well, I think it, 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 if, if we learned anything from here, it's that, you know, the, these issues are more complex than like, I don't know, we got to defund Caltrain because rich people use it. <laughs> you know, I, it's, 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 it's very, uh, very disingenuous. Like it's, it, it, it is true that rich people use it, but also like, this is a complex issue. And like, this is the only, 
commuter rail regional rail agency, which is taking concrete steps to address those problems. Also, I like the uh, RTS buses here in the uh, in the render here. Yeah, very nice. I just nice. want to point those out. Anyway, so um, I guess that is the episode. Next episode's about the Tacoma Narrows Bridge disaster. <laughs> I don't see myself on this slide, which is good. I'm, I, like, we're, we're doing that joke for one episode only. No, that was Mothman. I, it was Mothman. I'll, 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 I'll put it in, like, seven <laughs> episodes from now. No one knows. <laughs> this That's has right. been great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Miles. Oh, our pleasure. Oh, no, no problem. Yeah. Uh, Miles, do you want to talk about Presidio Bay? Sure. It's so good. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Presidio yes. Bay has been a project that uh, I've been working on for about uh, two and a half to three years with my buddy Jay. And it is a City Skylines building series unlike any other. It goes through time, not unlike Franklin, uh, but also incorporates um, drastic changes that undergo uh, the entire history of the region of the Bay Area. So it's not just San Francisco. It's Oakland, Salcedo, Gilroy, San Jose. And you see how over a century or more, how the entire Bay Area gets knitted together. Hmm. And it's exhaustively researched. <laughs> and the premiere of the first episode was today, as of the day we're recording. Um, so go, it's on Jay's channel, uh, Besquicklehausen. I've put that down in the description because no one knows how to spell no. that. Right. I don't know how to spell it. I've known him for ages. I don't know how to spell it. And depending on uh, how uh, late this podcast comes out, the next episode will be on my channel, Inner Urban Era, uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. All right. Sounds good. I also have a commercial. Um, so this, this episode should be coming out as quickly as possible. Um, so I am going to be doing a live stream with organizers for Jess Scarane for Senate, right? Jess Scarane is uh, doing a primary challenge against Chris Coons, senator from Delaware, um, one of the most conservative Democrats in the Senate. Um, you know, to uh, let, let's get some more left-wing people in, right? So on, on July 25th, that's Saturday, um, my portion of the live stream will start. This is a 24-hour live stream. I'm only on for uh, two hours. And we are going to do a build of miniature Delaware. <laughs> and there will be many interesting Delaware oh, facts. Are you going to include the one stream. building that has all the companies 1209 Orange, Alice. Yes. Pay it some respect. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll put the details in the description. This should be out probably the day before it happens. So, you know, also the bonus episode's coming out soon. I'm just having difficulty editing towards the end of the episode because the episode is about beer and we all drank yeah. a lot of beers. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. um, the next bonus episode, uh, I'm responsible for it. it it'll, it'll get there. <laughs> we no, all have problems. I have to move right, it. Sure. I got to do all sorts of shit, man. All right. Are you my dad? Are you my fucking dad? No, you're not. <laughs> Get out of the tank. <laughs> uh, just like screaming, maintain your decorum at me seemingly for no reason. Hmm.
Oh my God! All right, Miles, thanks for yeah, coming on. Thanks. Sorry we kept you. Yeah. It's been a long fun. time. All right. Hmm? All right. I think we're done All with right. the podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. Have fun, guys. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.